The Things We All Carry is a podcast about first responders and their stories surrounding trauma on the job. The intention of this podcast is to raise awareness and share meaningful conversation around a subject often viewed as taboo or simply ignored. Be aware this content may be graphic and it is real. It may not be suitable for children or adults triggered by this subject matter. Welcome to episode 85 of The Things We All Carry. Well-behaved women rarely make history. Marilyn Monroe, Eleanor Roosevelt, Anne Boleyn, even Princess Leia. You take your pick. That line has been attributed to all four and more. Credit actually goes to Laurel Thatcher Ulrich, an American professor. Stephanie White is trying her best to make some history. Attempting to change a culture requires you to step on toes and irritate the keepers of the status quo. From marijuana to PFAS to mental health to pregnancy and to fire service, Stephanie is championing progression and change. Her voice can be heard on the Five After Midnight podcast, and her writings can be found in Fire Engineering. Stephanie and I spoke for a little over an hour last week. We had no planning and zero idea where this would take us. What follows is an off-the-cuff impromptu conversation between two voices riddled with thoughts, opinions, and ADHD. A quick reminder to please help us build a community which not only recognizes, but supports each other through the struggles and recovery. Reach out through Instagram at the things we all carry or email my story at the things we all carry.com to offer support and share your story. Please remember to leave a review on iTunes and give a shout out to any first responder you know, love, or care about. Y'all enjoy the show. I'll take the ums over the clicks and weird pauses. I don't know. It's, I didn't like the way it was sounding, so I, I kind of eliminated unless it's overwhelming with, with filler words. Yeah. So, anyway. All right, well, let's get this party started, Brian. All right, well, welcome back to uh, the things we all carry. Today, I have one of, uh, I guess, I don't want to fill her head with, with big ideas or anything. One of my favorite guests of all time. Uh, she's been on a few times, and her name is Stephanie. She, uh, she, you can also find her under the uh, Five After Midnight podcast, which if you guys haven't checked it out, please Go check it out. Listen to what she has to say. Listen to what her guests are telling you. And it's a, it's a great show. It's a, it's informative and it's entertaining. So go check her out on the Five After Midnight podcast. Um, she agreed to come on last minute. I talked to her yesterday and she's will- she was willing to come on and just say, uh, well, for lack of a better word, say, fuck it, let's talk. And n- no idea what we're going to talk about. So how are you doing today? I actually think that was a direct quote, the fuck it, let's talk. I, I'm pretty sure it was. Text back, yeah. Good morning or good afternoon. Yeah, it's well for some of us it's good morning apparently since you're just waking up. (laughs) Accidental nap, post shift. (laughs) So how are you? Uh, I have uh, no complaints at this moment in time. Just got a solid nap in, and I'm on the wonderful four day break that our horrible schedule allots us. So is it the day one of the four day for you? It is day one. Good work duty this morning. That makes sense because I go back tomorrow for day one of the tour. So. Oh, you're a B shifter. Yeah. I spent 13 years on, the, on that shift. Yeah. So um, for the audience who, who might not have listened to old shows, um, tell us who you are. Where, where are you from? What do you do? And why are you behind the mic? I think what I do is probably more lines with just causing a lot of chaos and trouble. Um, my name is Stephanie. I was born and raised in Virginia, and I currently work for... Fairfax County Frag Rescue. I've been there for 18 years and I spent the first two years of my fire service career 
prior to that, being a volunteer where you worked, Zach, so that was my introduction to the fire service. The reason you have me on here today is I have a, a podcast called Five After Midnight, where I try to just pay attention around the kitchen table and listen to what the niche subjects are or that are being kicked around at the moment that aren't really seeing the light of day. And I try to bring in guests who can really talk about that and find a way to make those issues see the light of day so they can get solved. And I do some writing for fire engineering on the side whenever I decide that I haven't kicked a subject enough to death on the podcast. So you came, you came on my show early on as a guest and I don't remember the episode number, so you'll, you'll, you'll have to forgive me. I, I can look it up, but, um, it's been a while. It's been over a year since you've been on as, as a solo guest. And then we, then we did a, a show together with TJ and, and Mike Nasty and there were the four of us talking, but for you and me, it's been about a year since you sat down on my show. I think Facebook memories showed me a picture the other day and I think it was a year last week. Well, there you go. So my, my memory kind of serves me, serves me well this time, which is surprising. Um, not as sleep deprived as we thought. No. Well, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. I slept till nine the other day. So that was amazing. So a rarity. yeah, it's very rare. Well, I had planned to go hiking that day and woke up and it was raining and said, fuck it. And went back to bed. Next thing you know, it's nine o'clock. So, uh, it was, that was nice. Anyway, a little, little deviation there. Um, Tell us about the Should five, we, tell us more about five after midnight. Um, some of the subjects you've touched on and some of the hot button subjects you, you're kind of touching on now. Oh, memory lane here. I think the hottest button topic I have ever touched on has been marijuana in the fire service. It's that like a something. third rail, isn't it? It really is. So I, disclaimer, joined the fire service very young, never got to do marijuana, be it legal or illegal. It just was something I was terrified to touch. I grew up in a Northern Virginia, D.C. household where it was kind of, uh, you're probably going to grow up and get some sort of government contract job. You can't get it if you do marijuana. That's, that's the era I grew up in, in the 90s around Northern Virginia and D.C. So just never touched the stuff. And seeing some of my friends over the years find relief, who I had run calls with or had seen injured and seeing the damage that was done from injuries or the damage that was done from just horrific calls and seeing them develop anxiety, pain, whatever. It, it really runs the spectrum and only be able to find relief through that. And then seeing people I knew and was acquainted with be fired because they became opioid addicted after back injuries. And I have news for you if you haven't received your first back injury buckle up buttercup it'll be coming at some point in your illustrious career because you're just going to do something to your spine at one point or another it's unavoidable and the first thing they're going to do is they're going to throw opioids your way and you have to sit there and make a choice of should i do i want to be in pain or do i want to be taking something that might get me an addiction, especially considering our lifestyle. Accidental addiction is a very large thing with our lack of sleep and stress levels. So that became something that I became pretty passionate about, seeing the stigma still being there, despite the fact that ah, we've proven that opioids, certain ones were designed to be addictive. And here we are seeing 
cops, nurses, and firefighters being fired for addictions that per se weren't even their fault. I do like to assign accountability to people, but if we're putting somebody on a medication that's designed to hook them, I think a little bit, of the, a lot of bit of the accountability gets taken off their shoulders. That became a hot button issue for me. I've done um, a lot of writing it, done a couple episodes on that. So yes, you're right. Long-winded, but that is a third third rail uh, subject right there because people always have very pro pro opinions and or just an absolute against opinion. There seems to be no middle of the road with them. Yeah, no, there, there's no middle of the road. I, well, I won't say that. I think we're seeing a, a growth in the middle of the, of the road. I think that there's, with shows like yours and the writings like yours and various others out there, I think that we're seeing some education. If, if it's not direct education, at least it's kind of seeping in somewhere. And you're starting to see, well, as long as we're not using on duty, which is the most, I, I hate when people say that because it's, it's like, yeah. But, walk into the, the firehouse with the, Right, a bottle of beer. Why would you assume we do it with a joint or anything else? And that that is the assumption right away that we're gonna we're gonna smoke a joint right in the parking lot, walk in and drive the fire truck, and that's just ridiculous. But you know what is happening is they're they're popping that pain pill and they are driving a fire truck. And uh, I hate uh, I have ADHD, so I hate to throw my fellow neurodivergence under the bus, but I mean. Adderall. Adderall is, in a lot of ways, a behavioral changing medicine. Well, it's truly not changing, but it can it can be abused, and people are allowed to take that on duty, along with other other medications that are just socially accepted. So the only reason we're not allowed to do this at the end of the day is a still a a schedule one schedule one drug, but b I think more 90% of it is just the stigma. Yeah. And that stigma is, is, is starting to fade. I think that I read an article on NCAA. Uh, well, that's a misspeaking there. It is NCAA. It was, was easing restrictions on, on cannabis and CBD. And I'm not sure if they're easing in the restrictions on THC, but I know that they're, they're, they're going to stop testing in a certain way. Um, so that will allow some of that usage for their college athletes, which is fantastic because you know, whether you like it or not, your, your athletes, whether college or pro, they're using already. And they've learned, they've, they've had to learn how to skirt, you know, urine tests and and blood tests, but, but they're able to do it. Cause I mean, let's be honest, you're smart. Once you figure it out, you're, it's pretty easy. Um, and so the NCAA is saying, no, this is a benefit. So let's stay away from the opiates and, and the CBD and THC is going to benefit these athletes in the long run for a, for a, healthier lives and, and longevity in their life. We have a strength and fitness coach who's an amazing, amazing asset, but he came from a professional sports background and he, he came in and he saw our rate of injury and all these things. And he, well, first things off the bat, he said, oh, well, let's, you know, let's start using a CBD for inflammation and stuff. And that kibosh was put on that right away. Mm. So it's so fantastic to see people like John Bach from Rescue One CBD, who are just absolute brainiacs coming in, waving the science and saying, stop it. Let's be realistic. I know this is under, this is related to the hemp plant, but come on, here are the benefits. 
start saving your poor people's body and just allow them to take things that design them to sleep and have inflammation calm down in their body. So it's been fun to watch people like that who you wouldn't look at and equate with THC, but he's running the CBD side of things, which is, I mean, in this ladder of getting access to medical marijuana, he's, you know, it's one of the first rungs. So it's been neat to see that. Yeah, John's product is is phenomenal, especially for first responders because of the testing that he does and and the guarantee that he mm-hmm. makes that you are not going to test positive for THC because he throws out vats of CBD oil just because it it tests a little bit too high. He guarantees that that's not going to have THC in it, and that's that for us. For well, excuse me, not for me so much, but for other fire departments, that's that's the utmost importance. Oh, oh absolutely, and when we get. And we can kick around shift life later in the conversation because we're AHDers, we'll do that. But if you work these 24 that turns into a 36, maybe you're working a 48 that turns into a 60-hour shift, you're not sleeping when you come home. You might take a crash nap, but your sleep cycle, your body's ability to say, at, at least for me, what's bedtime and what's awake time is completely and to be able to take something like CBD that is not going to give me that hangover effect in the morning that I would assume any kind of sleeping medication would, and it's going to calm information, inflammation and stuff in my body, come on. Well, let's not let our people take that. It's a, it's a journey towards common sense is really how I look at it. Why are we insisting on leaving our people with crappy options, some of the anti-anxiety meds that we take are not designed for you to go into a high heat environment, for example. They mess with your hypothalamus, they mess with your ability to sweat, and they say on there, do not take in a high heat environment. But that is the thing we are willing to prescribe to our firefighters or occupational health or other providers. This is the first line drug. And also therapeutic threshold that you will have very unfortunate side effects if you don't take all your medications the way you should. So let's say you get stuck on a 60-hour shift and you've forgotten that medication, you're going to be in a world of hurt. Yeah, that's so, that's, that's a great point because if you if you look at THC or, or CBD, it's, it's not addictive and it's not something you, you your body is going to come to rely on. It's just all a matter of giving... Saying forget it to the stigma, it's running towards better health options for our friends. And I'm, I think it's finally starting to become a bit of a no-brainer in some areas of the country. And I'm excited to see if that finally hits home right where I am. Well, I mean, they just need to look to the south a little bit to find out that, that you can take it, take it off the drug screen and, and disaster doesn't happen. So for those of of the listeners who aren't from Northern Virginia, just a little bit bit of an explanation. Uh, Prince William and where I work are pretty much any great sibling rivalry or (laughs) football rivalry. That's always been us. And uh, my department has always carried the mantle of greatness. And you guys have been the smaller, wimpier little brother. And just the changes you guys have made in your department over the past five years have been other than the fact that you went to our crappy schedule. Yeah, right. Other than that one, 
you guys have been making some pretty amazing changes for health. I'll take a step further. I think that I think that we're both being uh, outpaced right now, and I think the future is actually west of us. Um, Don't say loud. I think it is. I think that no. I think there's some things they're doing that are they're better than both of us. So I'm not saying that they're there yet, but I think they're headed there. Um, but yeah, I think that there there are some things with with mental health that they are doing that are so much more proactive than what we're doing. It just, it, it, it outshines us. So we are Virginia state peer team just got stood up and our clinician for that is Loudon. Um, one of their last mental health clinicians who I think is probably responsible for a lot of that. Mm -hmm. I mean, Obviously, the people who are currently in that position are doing amazing work, but I think she did a lot of the groundwork for that. And she's absolutely amazing. So I'm really excited to see what she does for us at the state level after seeing what she accomplished in Loud. Well, that's a great segue because that's one of the things I did want to talk about that I forgot to mention to you when we spoke before we came on air is the, the state peer support team. I, I kind of want to get into that with you. Um, I know that this is a man, this is a pet project of yours. This is a baby for you. And, and you, you put some blood, sweat and tears into it. So tell me about it a little bit. This is a, this is something I am pretty excited about. When I first started volunteering in Prince William in 2003, I don't know if all departments did this, but Prince William did. CISM, the Criti Critical Incident Stress Management, was all that we had. The peer model didn't exist yet. And what CISM is, is they bring in two people on the team, two or three people, and they sit you all in a circle and they make you talk about the trauma that you just went through. Mm -hmm. So if you ran a pediatric cardiac arrest, anything just that would kind of haunt you and stick with you and, and give you issues, they would sit there and right away make you relive that trauma. You did not have time to digest it, nothing. And you had to say it in front of a group of people. So it was absolutely horrifying. I absolutely hated it. And it was my first experience with mental health. And it really, really stuck with me having to sit there awkwardly in a chair, being a skinny little 18-year-old and just, no, I don't want to tell you this stuff. So that, I think, always put a bug in my back of my mind that there has to be a better way. And our state still uses that model. And it's it's not bashing it in any way. It's just that has... It's the way we've always done it, right? So the IFF started to establish this peer model of doing things. And that's, you know what, you and your house go through some stuff. I'm just going to walk in your house and I'm going to ask you what you guys need. You know, do you guys need dinner? Do you guys need the firehouse cleaned? What is it that you need at this moment? And I'm just going to be there being useful. And if, if you want to come talk to me, um, you absolutely can. And if you don't, you don't. But it gives you the option to see, hey, here's somebody who's trained that I can discuss things with. And you know what? If you don't want to do it on duty, you now have a name in your face in your mind that you can maybe call off duty. So that's the peer model versus the SISM model. It very much, it lets people know that they have resources but you can safely reach out and touch that resource when you are ready. We're not forcing anybody to relive any trauma right there in front of a bunch of other people. So I'm excited to watch, watch the changes and how people view after incidents. 
because there will be, if this starts to kind of take over the state, there will be no more of that after action incident. So what, what was the, what was the process like? How did you start this and was it a battle or, or was it something that was pretty, was sold pretty easily? It was not a battle in any way, shape or form. I, where I work, it's an employer based team of some pretty great people, not bashing it in any way, shape or form, but it's still employer based. And anytime you have anything employer based, people are going to be nervous because if you're on the team and I come to you and I say, hey, Stack, I'm struggling. I have been drinking a lot and I reached a tipping point. I drove drunk the other night. Well, people are going to have to go report there. And that's, that's, that's not at all going to be helpful to a human being to say, hey, I'm finally reaching out for help. And then all of a sudden my job is in, in jeopardy. So I, I was sick and tired of having to, when people would come to me asking for peer support, refer them to people in Maryland, because that's, that's one of the closest things to us is we border Maryland on one side. And I, I just, I hated that I was having to reach outside of the state for resources. So I contacted the VPFF, Virginia Professional Firefighters. I contacted their board and said, hey, what can we do with this? And they said, listen, go, go do the research. Come bring us all the information in May. I did. And by September, it was a fully funded team with a hired clinician. So it moved very quickly and there was absolutely no kickback whatsoever. So your vision is, is, is what with it? Where do you want to go with it? So there are 275 certified peers, last I checked, in the state of Virginia. And a lot of Virginia places will only have maybe one or two peers. All your peers are centered in Norfolk, Chesapeake, Fairfax, Prince William, Loud. It's the bigger departments that have a bunch of them. This will be a way to connect everybody, make sure that everybody is always being provided training. But also, we have a hard enough time on calls when we have to tell somebody that their loved one has just died. Like it's never, you can do it a million times. It's never going to be comfortable. Having to reach in and touch someone else's human disaster is uncomfortable and it's awkward and it can get easier the more you do it, but none of us ever feel like we did it correctly, if that makes sense. So one of the biggest goals of this team for this next coming year is to bring in training that focuses on what people who have been through peer experiences saw go wrong for them. Uh, I did that podcast episode with TJ from Keep the Promise, where he talked about he had a line of duty death from his firehouse. And they came and they took over his firehouse. He couldn't, he had to wait in line to use the bathroom. You know, they couldn't get to their fridge to get food. It was absolutely horrifying. Stories like that need to be heard. We need to hear what not to do. And then also bring in educators who can say, hey, I went through this experience, peer experience. Here's what was done right. I would love to have a team model or a team network where people can just talk about it. Say, hey, listen, I'm, I'm terrified of going into a firehouse and talking to people. And it, 
I don't know what to say. And, and really just teaching them the skills of, hey, nobody knows what to say. Here are some things you can keep in the back of your mind that might help you. So that way you're a stronger peer when you go in and you can make people comfortable around you. It's just building people up, giving them the educational resources. So that way, when they are placed in that position, they're comfortable enough to be an approachable resource. So then the, the group of peers that you have, the numbers across the state, they're not trained. There's not a, a central training for them, correct? Correct. So they all received the ISF's peer training model. Okay. And then if they're part of a team, they're still, um, they're still obviously going to be receiving training. But what about all those other peers that are out on the outskirts that are just trying to keep up with other skills themselves? And this also, the biggest motivation for me with starting this team was our members live all across the state. Nobody lives in Fairfax County or Prince William. It's very rare to find somebody who lives in the area they work in because these areas are so expensive. If I have a guy going through a crisis three hours away, I want to be able to contact somebody and say, hey, can you go knock on so-and-so's door and check in on them? I want to make sure we have the ability to always reach out and find support for our members who live all across the state. And also, I'm, I might not want to talk to somebody from my jurisdiction, even if I do have a team in my area. So to be able to have access to a network and to say, okay, you know what? I'm just going to talk to somebody who's the farthest end of the state away because they're never going to see my face and run into me. Great. Now we have that option to reach out and do that. You mentioned that it, that their training has been done through the international. Um, are there similar teams across the across the country in each state, or is this is this a rare thing? So there are teams. Maryland just put up their team. I think about a year or two ago. I believe Tennessee has one. Other states, I think California has one. There are definitely other states that have statewide teams. In Virginia, we still have, for example. Mia Etheridge, the young lady that was killed in Louisa County mm -hmm. when her her engine struck a tree, they deployed, the team wasn't set up at that moment, so they deployed a SISM team. And I think that is what a lot of Southern states are still working off of, unfortunately, is that SISM model. So peer teams becoming a statewide thing is something you're really going to start seeing, hopefully more and more in Southern areas over the next couple of years. And Again, not, not bashing this as a model. I think mental health should never be a competition. We're all here to, to do the right thing. But science and, and our understanding of mental health has changed. So I think it's time to kind of put that way of doing things to bed, hopefully. That, that SISM model is so outdated. I agree with you. I mean, you, you walk into a room and you say, okay, who wants to talk? Nobody wants to fucking talk. You know, it's all you shit. Yeah. And, and, and if the senior guy says, oh, I'm fine, then everyone else below that is going to tell you they're fine too, because everyone's going to do what that senior guy does. Mm -hmm. as, as, at least if he's developed some kind of rapport and respect with his crew or her crew, that's what's going to happen. And so, yeah, that, that's a broken model. What's, what are some of the proactive steps though, that, that 
the peer support model would would take as opposed to a SISM? Because there's not really a proactive support, a proactive approach with SISM. So is there a proactive approach through the peer support model? Uh, yeah. I mean, if I hear something happened, a certain type of call happened in my county, I reach out to that firehouse and I say, hey, um, what do you need is my first question. It's not, do you guys need a peer? It's, what do you need? Are you guys sitting out of service, starving, and everybody on the shift is allergic to something and paleo, and so you don't want to do DoorDash? What help can we provide you is really the proactive step that we do. Because then it builds that bridge of, okay, these people aren't just walking in our firehouse to hear about our trauma and drama. They're actually giving their time to make sure we're okay. They're more likely going to be open or receptive to talking to you. So that's the proactive step that we'll be doing with at least our, our locals team in Fairfax. And then with the state team as well, uh, it'll be a, a network where we can reach out and say, hey, I heard this is going on in this county. Can somebody, somebody make that phone call? Can somebody check? Can somebody bring that resource? And, and I guess my question lies more in the, the the educating, the educating, yeah, of, and getting to, I don't know, getting to know, and this is very local because you can't do this at a state level. You can't get to know members and react. So, so your peer support at a, at a department level has to be able to interact prior to anything even happening. So, you know, kind of a baseline of what someone is. Um, and that, I think that's, that's a, that's a senior man, officer, chief level get to know somebody. And so that, that's the proactive piece. I think that we're, we quite often we miss in the, in the fire service nowadays. So what I'm doing, and when I say we just stood up our locals team for our County, we just stood it up. I'm slowly putting each peer's face and just a short bio where they grew up. Fun fact or two about them on Instagram. So people can start seeing these are our peer members. And then eventually when it gets to a certain point, it's going to be more countywide education of, hey, here are your peers. You might not like peer A, but you might have a great relationship with peer W. Like these are faces that you can reach out and talk to if you're going through something. It is a weird, awkward line of having to go out and self-promote mental health without shoving it in people's faces. And that is very hard to do because uh, when any resource shows up at lunchtime or whatever, you're like, come on, get out of our firehouse. It's lunchtime. I just want to eat. We've been running coals. So it's finding the line of getting out there so people can see your face and not intruding on people's personal space. Yeah, I, I think that there there's that balance. Obviously, you have to balance that intrusion with with getting to know and, and being familiar with. And I just, yeah, there's, as somebody who likes to keep my, my personal space, my personal space, I don't, I don't intertwine too much with work. Um, I, I understand that that's a very fine balance. And nobody wants, you can feel it when you walk into a room and everybody should be, I'm a, I'm a battalion rep. So you can walk into a firehouse and everybody's like, oh, the Indian person's here. You don't want to create that kind of situation with a peer team. So I'm still trying to figure out, okay, we can do it on social media. How do we make people aware 
in person of what their peer resources are without turning them off to it. Still trying to figure that one out. And it could just be we are in such a staffing crisis with holdover recall and callback that we just make sure our peers mention it while they're at a firehouse working a detail or overtime or whatever. Just casually drop that. It might be something as as simple as that is going to be enough, but uh, it's hard because if you underpromote it, then people aren't going to have advantage to a resource when they're in trouble and in need. If you overpromote it, nobody's going to want to touch out, to reach out and touch that resource when they're in trouble and in need. So, thanks, thanks, Zach. I'm going to stay up awake tonight thinking about that one. I, well, you're welcome. That's that's what I do. I, I pull that pin on that grenade and roll it into a room for you. Yeah, I really need another problem to think about. Thanks, buddy. Well, let's talk about another problem that you think about quite often lately, and that's uh, I would I go with women in general in the fire service, but specifically, you've been talking about pregnancy in the fire service, and and and. I guess I always realized that, that that there were some issues floating around the fire service w- with pregnancy, but I never, I guess I didn't, I didn't understand the depth of it until you and I spoke about it one time. And, you know, it, it's, it's on both sides. It's, it's on the, on the male side and the female side and, and for the reasons why, first of all, getting pregnant by, might be an issue and then maintaining a pregnancy. Hmm. So this has been my longest soapbox. I started this battle slash journey in 2011 with my first son and I think what you're talking about is is the way I really I've really been preaching lately the dichotomy of we're starting to see more and more females staying longer in the field than they necessarily should because it is People aren't giving them the hard time that they they used to give people. And it is becoming more of a normal thing to have females in your fire department, at least around here. So females are pushing it a little too much because the science hasn't caught up to the firehouse and they aren't hearing the numbers of miscarriages. Um, There's was a recent study, I think, last year that talks about the higher level of deformities and medical issues of children of firefighters, and that hasn't been placed in front of them, which is part of the other fight, which is apartments. You need to have a manual, and you have no right, legally, literally, to tell a woman when she has to come out of the field um, or has to take leave without pay because you don't have a manual or anything in your collective bargaining. So that's been the, someone asked me, earlier in the month and they said well you're really playing both sides and I said yeah you kind of have to because you can't come in and tell that woman who's staying so long that she legally can't be in the field unless she proves that she can't do her job but then you as a department also have the responsibility to put the science together and to put a program together where she can safely go on light duty and wants to because you've put all those alarming studies in front of her. I think that's what you're referring to. Yeah, I, I, I am. And, and also, you know, I, I think that the depth of the issue for me that I didn't realize was some of the, you know, I, I, I suppose there's some epigenetic changes that can happen with the job that we do with the, with the chemicals that we, in, we ingest either purposefully or, or 
uh, ignorant, ignorantly because we just, we just don't know that they're there. And I think there's some changes being, that affect, um, affect men and women. And I hadn't thought about the longevity of, of staying in the field while you're pregnant. Um, and I guess how long, I mean, what does science say? Or is there not anything out there that, that says that gives a suggestion? Hey guys, quick break right here just to check in and thank each of you for listening to the show. Your support has been paramount and I appreciate all of you. I have one request though. I need you to share the show with everyone you know. Help me get the word out and spread these stories as far and as wide as we can. While you're at it, please leave a review of the show wherever you happen to listen. Feel free to reach out to me at any time to share your story, to talk, or to pass on suggestions. Let's get on with the rest of the show. So there hasn't been any kind of concrete report you can, or white paper that you can point to and say, this has the number, the magical number. I would say this, if you are pregnant, look into studies on, and I know this is going to sound crazy, but loud noises. There have been noise studies done and their effect on fetal development. Sleep. There have been sleep studies done on fetal development. And then, uh, unfortunately, that study that I talked about, about um, firefighter children and disabilities and other things, that came out before we started talking about PFAS in the gear, but there are PFAS and fetal development studies, and those line up together. Those last two do, interestingly enough. Mm -hmm. So is there a magic number? No. You need, to, you need to do your research and decide what that magic number is for you. Personally, if I, uh, my, hopefully my childbearing days are over. My hmm. children are enough of the project as it is. But if I were to get pregnant today, I would probably be coming out around month two. You know, once fetal development really gets to a certain point, I wouldn't want to be exposing both myself and my child to the things I mentioned above because our miscarriage rate is twice that of the normal population. And we don't know why. Is it the lack of sleep? Is it the stress? Is it the PFAS? Is it all of the above? I don't want to find out. I personally, I have an 11-year-old and an 8-year-old, and in between those two pregnancies, I ended up having two miscarriages. And I mean, to this day, I, I couldn't tell you why or what it was. I don't have any kind of family history of, of multiple miscarriages or any of that. So, and no medical issues that would have caused that. Is it just bad luck? Maybe. Is it job-related? Maybe. But the science also says that I'm more likely to go through what I went through. So I'm going to have to probably lean towards the job. It's interesting. I mean, second month is, is that's, I mean, so far well before I would have thought that someone should leave the field. So, but it makes complete and total sense. And I'll say this, my, um, my firstborn, I didn't come out of the field until almost seven months. And my second born, I came out around three months. I mean, it, it. if you go based off what your body can handle, your body can go pretty far. So you really need to make sure that you're not doing that, that you're going off of the science. I think something that's been making me twitch a lot lately is seeing how, and I, 
I'm twitching because I did this myself with my first pregnancy. Nobody had stayed out on an engine as long as I was. And for me, it was a point of, mm. oh, I'm going to do this and I, I'm going to prove that I can do this. Right. I was young and dumb. I think I was 27. That counts as young and dumb. And looking back on that now, I just, I cringe. And I'm so fortunate that my oldest is healthy and, well, he's my child, so I can't say normal, but relatively normal. <laughs> it just don't, if you're staying out for a long time, just to kind of see if you can mentally, physically challenge yourself or it's a point of pride, don't do it. Don't, it's not worth it. Having a healthy baby and getting some sleep, that's worth it. Make that your competition. Let's change gears a little bit. Um, a couple of things you've posted lately on Instagram have caught my eye. And one of them is talking about, uh, the, you know, this, um, how are we taking mental health too far? And that was an episode you mm -hmm. did. And, and, and I won't get too much into the episode because they can go and listen to the episode. I'd rather you have an audience listen to it than me recap it. But are, you say in your post, basically you say, where's the balance between suck it up, buttercup and you know, Hey, we're going to see bad things, but how do we protect some of that? And how do we, how do we, yeah. How do we protect our brains a little bit, but also realize you, we're, we're going to see it. So what do we do? Where's the line? Is there a line? Is it, is, you know, I know that I preach obviously mental health and taking care of yourself and talking and getting out there and, and, and getting this shit off of your mind. Um, but I also, I put this stuff out as well. And, and I put something out about, you know, PTSD or, or stress or trauma. And inevitably there's somebody in there being a smart ass and they're like, well, you're, you're a fucking firefighter. You signed up for the job. So what is, what is taking mental health too far? Do you think there is a, there's, that's going on right now? I think if we're not careful, we can head that way. And I overuse this term, but it, it's the most accurate, the, the pendulum swing that is the fire service. Mm -hmm. um, you come into the fire service. I mean, when I came in, the jokes that were made, um, the sexual advances, those things were completely normalized and allowed. And now you walk into some kitchen tables and they're terrified. They don't make any jokes because they're so afraid of getting in trouble. And I might say something that offends some, offends somebody. We've had that pendulum swing. We do with absolutely everything in the fire service. We always have a knee-jerk reaction. Instead of sitting down, observing trends, and taking action where, where there needs to be action taken. So with mental health, we did suck it up buttercup for so long that now, I mean, I can't be upset about this. We're, we're flooding the fire service with mental health resources, which is absolutely amazing but my fear and what that conversation was talking about is are we teaching those who are incoming that every bad sad thing they see well they need to go out of service they need to digest it they need to go home and think about what they just saw because we can have those days where it's just heartbreak after heartbreak after heartbreak and we have to still be able to function. So we can't be teaching this. You have to stop the world and pause and take care of yourself every time you see something horrible. Because we're going to see a lot of horrible some days. 
then it's going to be back to back to back to back. And there is certain things, obviously anything that ever involves kids, like there has to be, there needs to be a pause to make sure that, okay, is everybody operationally functional? Is everybody okay? Because that will always affect even the saltiest motherfucker on the crew. But then we also have to teach people how to personally triage trauma. Hmm. Is this trauma that's going to take me out for the day? Do I need to, because you know what, there might be something with a geriatric that triggers something in somebody that their grandparents went through or that they saw their grandparents go through or whatever. It, it, that might be surprisingly triggering for somebody. Okay. I'm not you. I wouldn't know that. So we need to be teaching along with all these mental health resources that you have to triage the trauma because our job is trauma. We are being paid thin red line, right? Everybody wants to put it on their truck. Well, we are the thin red line between society and trauma. And you're going to be hit with that trauma. Figure out where your function line is. This is, I can see things up to this point. Then I might need to back up, but I have to acknowledge that I'm going to be saying those things. And I think that's something we're not necessarily talking about enough. Well, I think that, that, that some of that comes into play with your own crew. Like you guys, and, and I say you guys is speaking of, of crew integrity there. When you go into a call and, and whatever it is, I don't care what the trauma is. I don't, I don't care if it's with an infant or if it's a, you know, if it's multiple people injured or multiple people dead, whatever the trauma is, there has to be that space. And this goes back to that peer support, that proactive approach on peer support. It has to be that space to go, wait a second, let's talk about that. Not, not necessarily let's go out of service because I, that's not feasible. You know, I get that, but with those I'll, for, I don't know, it sounds horrible, but the smaller traumas, I think that, the, that we have to take care of each other before before they builds for us. And then we have to self triage. We're not teaching how to go, wait a second. What I saw is fucked up. Let me write it down. Let me talk it out. Let me, whatever works for you. Let me do that. And we're not teaching that yet. Even, even though we give lip service galore to mental health, I, I still don't think we're teaching that. No, we're not. And the thing about teaching people how to self triage means we're not going to have an overreaction or they saw something sad and scary. Um, and we're not going to have an underreaction if we're treating, teaching people how to self-triage. So I'm going to say, what? That is bothering me. I had a dream about it last night. Or I had, you know what? I had trouble sleeping last night. That's really weird. Why did I have trouble sleeping? Well, I saw this thing the night before. Could the two be related? My appetite is off. I'm eating too much, not eating enough if we're teaching people to be aware after trauma we're going to make sure that nobody falls down and over that cliff of that hidden pts from a cold yeah i it's so it's such a weird thing because i i catch myself doing it i um we run a call and and we haven't had thankfully in the last couple of weeks we haven't had anything traumatic or huge or, or whatever you want to call it. But, you know, we've had those calls where where the body's in the middle of the street and it's limbs are askew and, and you, it's quite obviously dead. And you're just like, well, it's, it's just not healthy to sit there and stare at a dead body. So you, it's kind of, you, you, 
it's talking about is working your way out and or the infant CPR, like we've always talked about. Those, those are the ones you need some, somebody to go to as opposed to the, the mild ones. Um, go ahead. What, what surprised me years later, looking back on it, the calls that really affected and screwed with me or when I first came in the fire service, there were still a lot of AIDS patients and there was still stigma about AIDS. So I was running people in their final stages of AIDS who no family around. And an AIDS patient looks very much like a cancer patient in their end stages, which is they're very emaciated. They're just, it's a hard state to see a human being in, in the end stages of their life. And they were alone so much Mm -hmm. of the time. And you would have these patients begging you to stay with them. And we always have certain patients who latch onto us and say, oh, please stay with me. But to have people who you knew had nobody coming to be with them and this was their last moments and they were begging you, I, nobody's ever going to teach you that that's going to screw you up. Nobody's going to talk about that because that, on the grand scheme of things, right, that sounds like such a mild call. But it wasn't for me. It was knowing that I was turning down a human being, asking me for comfort in their last moments. That was just devastating for me as a, as a teenage medic. And so if we're teaching people how to check in and know, am I underreacting or overreacting, you're going to catch those levels of calls that people would never even know affected them. Yeah, I, my guest this week on the show is Alex, and and he's actually from our area. And he talks about one of the things that really affected him, and and when he was a younger firefighter, was the fact that he'd go into some of these places, and it was you know a geriatric, seventy to eighty years old, and and they have an air mattress, and that's about all they have in their apartment because they just can't afford anything. And and right. it hits him like this is this is end of life stuff. Then they're just kind of existing and and and. I guess you would say suffering on their own because they just don't have anything or anybody. And it, and it's, it, it hit him in a way that he never expected. And that's where resiliency comes in. Um, and mental health, the holistic picture of, am I eating right? Am I sleeping right? Am I drinking too much? All these things come into play to help us to be able to consistently handle that because we see that kind of stuff daily and if we haven't built up a network of making sure our health is healthy in every other category that daily depravity and sadness is it's just gonna wear you down and that's where it's just we need more of a resiliency model that just says hey you're going to see some sad shit on the daily. So make sure you're not overloading your other categories of health because your brain health is going to be an almost daily struggle to keep that area healthy. So well, speaking of that, energy for that one. One of the other posts I saw, and I don't know how far back it was, you talked about how just laughter was it. You know, making sure that there's that time in your day with your crew that you can just I mean, whatever it is, just make fun of each other for something or just laugh at something that, that is so absurd that what else are you going to do but laugh at it? So this, 
I don't know whether to say it's absurd or laughable or sad or what, but I developed a class that I'm, I'm, I'm teaching a couple places across the state this year that talks about the fact that uh, the EEO, the harassment, all that training, that mandatory federal training mm-hmm. we all receive in the firehouses every year is useless. The reason we receive it is so that when you or I say something is stupid to somebody else, we can tell the DOJ or whoever, hey, listen, uh, Stack's been trained. He watched something on Target Solutions. He knows better than that. That's a no-no zone. And we have this dysfunctional model that doesn't actually talk about the true harassment that lurks in firehouses. No. And instead it says, don't say anything that could be mildly offensive. And everybody's terrified to make a joke at the kitchen table. And the class really focuses on, no, here's what, here's what fire service harassment looks like. Create a, create a training that truly focuses on that. Teach your people at a firehouse that yeah, this is the wild, wild west. You can police your own wild, wild west. Tell, tell Billy Bob when he says something truly offensive to knock it off. There are jokes that are never going to be okay. We all know what they are. Tell them not to do it. Gather around your person. If you see one of your fellow firefighters being harassed, everybody goes silent. You know, we walk, we walk out of the room. We stay quiet. Don't do that. If you want your firehouse to be a place of fun and laughter, you have to do some hard things to keep it that way sometimes. But what we did instead of teaching people that is we taught them, you're not allowed to laugh. You're not allowed to say anything funny. People get nervous when a minority or a female walks in the room or just somebody that they feel and think is different. You know, everything shuts down because they're worried, well, will that person be offended? Versus teaching. And I'm not a politically correct human being with my jokes. Teaching that, no, we have to have laughter. Like, you guys, y'all got to figure it out. Y'all have to have laughter at your kitchen table. Figure out what might offend someone. Don't make that joke in their presence. Right. Until they go somewhere else. Make that joke then. We're all some pretty funny people. We can come up with other jokes. Like, if we take one category off the table, that's fine. We got a million other categories to make fun of. We don't teach people how to have adult humor in a way where we can backtrack and apologize if we need to. We know certain things are off the table, so don't, don't freaking touch them. Stand up for each other, but you have to be laughing in your firehouse. Like, that is a non-optional thing. You have to be hanging out at your kitchen table. We've all got somebody in the firehouse who, and that person in our firehouse is me, okay? I eat a, I eat a special healthy person, really boring diet, but I had a captain when I started doing that tell me, his nickname for me was Pinky. He said, listen, Pinky, I don't care if you eat off the forest floor as long as you're sitting at the kitchen table and eating with us. And that always stuck with me. And you don't see people doing that. You see them heating up their own food and eating at, at various different times. And, and there's maybe three people out of 11 person crew sitting at the kitchen table. No, that is so important yeah. to just sit there and absorb the laughter. And that is how if you're not you can tell what companies are really lame and boring by watching how they interact on this scene. Like the communication is chaotic and, and panicked and everybody's stumbling over their words because they haven't sat around, picked on each other and made fun of each other 
and left because that is where the bonds of communication are formed is in that moment. So that way, when you go out of the firehouse and you have those difficult calls, I already know your style and how you communicate and maybe even how you get mad uh, to be able to know and read your body language. Yeah. So not even a, a, a matter of how you get mad or communicate. It's, it's also a matter of, of, in a way, how you panic, you know, w- <laughs> at what point it, are you overwhelmed? And some people will tell you that, oh, if I'm quiet, don't worry about me. It's when I start talking a lot, that's when, or when I'm quiet, that's when you have to start worrying, you know, and, and, and you're starting to get to know at actually, that's the best way to get to know your, your officer is all right. So what do they do when they start to get stressed and, mm-hmm. and start to learn and, and, you do learn that around the kitchen table. You know, it's, it's funny because we, we, we espouse that for families, you know, we you should eat dinner every night together. You know, that's kind of a, you don't always get that with families, but it's, it's nice. You go eat dinner together. That's your time to check in. That's your time to, to, to be, to, to work on that bond. And to, like you said, talk about your day, laugh about something that happened in a day. Of course you should do it in a firehouse because we're family. Well, and we've, we've been hitting mental health pretty hard. But we're going to hit it one more time. Laughter is how we distress, especially the dark humor. Um, it's just, you can't, you're not going to have that mental health resiliency if you're not laughing with those around you who have, who were on that call as well and who know what your mind is going through. I, uh, I'll throw it back again. I'll throw his name out there again. TJ, uh, he and I talked about one time, I, I, I as I, as I tend to do to you and TJ quite often, I'll just send texts, you know, what's on my mind. And, and one of them to him was, Hey, you want to do a different show with me? And he was like, first of all, he's like, what the fuck are you talking about? He's like, hold on time. Out. I don't have time for this in my day. I didn't plan for this discussion, but, um, I said, yeah, I just want to do something where I laugh once in a while, you know, because, because on this show there's, it's few and far between where we actually just spend some time laughing. Uh, it's a very heavy show. I know that. And, and I try to lighten it up once in a while, but I was like, well, maybe I'll just do something different where we talk about the dark humor. And, 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 and I thought that'd be, it'd be hilarious to us, but who else is going to find that funny? So most people will find it morbid and, and disturbing. And offensive. Oh, I don't, yeah, I don't care about offensive. You know, I'll change my voice. I'll, I'll, I don't know how I do that, but, uh, no, I, I don't. Yeah. It's something that I would like to look into doing and, and, and maybe if someone has an idea of how to do it, I'll, I'll, I'll hear them out and we can do it. But I just, just put a put a mic at, at my firehouse or kitchen. Oh, table. you know, I, I mean, have, you know, you've watched the, the fire department live show or whatever that is. And I'm like, yeah. how the fuck do they do that? I, we would never get away with that. No, no, we would all be jobless if they did yeah. that at our firehouse. Yeah. But, In an instant. So. 18 years in the fire service and you're coming up on, are you going to do 20? You're going to do more. That's an valuable question. Everybody's asking. Um, I'm just curious. What, I mean, I don't need a definitive answer. Obviously I don't know. I, I just, I was wondering what you want to see coming up for you. What, what, what changes do you, what change would you like to see if you're going to stay in for another, say seven years and go 25 years, what kind of change do you need to see for that to come to fruition for you? So culture is something that's always going to be a hot button issue for me. My, I could do 30 years and retire at 50, which would be pretty cool. Um, however, I'm not 
gonna lie, I will probably be looking to reevaluate at year 20. And if I'm pissed off enough, mm-hmm. that is when I will finally start climbing the ranks of, okay, I've, I've yelled and, and attempted everything possible in the field and things haven't changed in the categories I'd like. Now you're going to make me get promoted and have to change it from there. Uh, so 20 years will really be that that deciding time of my life, whether I go on a different version of the war path or just say, you know what, it's time to bow out and pursue change in different avenues of the fire service culture. So I don't, I don't have that answer. Where do you see how pissed off I am? Well, we'll go outside your fire, fire service in a way. We'll, We'll go to the podcast. Where do you see the podcast going? Uh, I think the podcast will always be there because there's always going to be something new. The issues the fire service is facing, are facing right now, 50% of them are the same. We haven't solved them yet, and 50% of them are new. So we're always going to be developing new issues in the fire service. So I think there will always be a need for some sort of platform for people to say, hey, listen, we've all been talking about this. We know we're all talking about this. So we're just going to go ahead and put it out there, put it on air. That way you can feel a little safer to discuss it at your kitchen table. I think people, you're always going to have personalities that are going to be willing to fall on that sword and talk about something in public. But a lot of times around the around the fire service, people don't want to be viewed as a troublemaker so they won't bring those subjects up um Hmm. i think i got the nickname trouble within like the first six months because of my mouth so i'm happy to always fall on that sword for the fire service i don't think it's going to be the kind of thing that i would pursue full-time as as a retirement but i would like that little hey let's talk about a voice to to continue for a little bit longer in the fire service all right, you know what I'm going to ask you now. We've been going for about an right. hour, and and I know that you came on as a favor last minute, but I'm still going to ask you the same questions. What and and you answered it way back when about an everyday carry. What's something that you're carrying these days? Yeah, it's always going to be. I mean, you know what? Here is something new. So my answer was going to be my headphones because I, I do think uh, life deserves a soundtrack and to be able to always listen to music or a podcast. Um, but I've been really trying to carry a book lately to go back to the old school days of, you know, when I'm stuck wherever waiting in the line, carrying a smaller book or starting to carry a purse so that I can carry a book because I'm trying to get away from my device. It's, yeah, that's just some sick and tired of of uh, being reachable, really being reachable and starting to develop that urge to check Instagram or other things and email. and It's such a double-edged sword because for, for us, that's how we're trying to get our exposure. And then it just, it feeds it though. You know, it feeds this, okay, now what am I, what are my numbers at? What am I doing? And, 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 and to let go of that is important. Well, I think eventually you get to a point and to an age where, uh, so I'm on this edge right now of, okay, how busy is too busy? So we set out on these journeys to help other people with their mental health 
um, through your podcast, through peer teams, through having pregnancy manuals, helping people get medical marijuana. And at what point are we not listening to our own advice and are we over overloading our day? Because I'm not going to lie, my day looked something like this until I fell asleep and missed half my morning. Uh, I, I do have a, a meeting later with a city in Alaska about medical marijuana in two departments about the pregnancy policy and with a researcher about it. And that's not to say I'm cool in any way, shape, or form. It's to say at some point um, we stop listening to what we're telling everybody else and we do the opposite and we quantify or qualify it under the name of one doing it to help everybody else. Mm -hmm. And and, uh, I, I did tell TJ this today and he yelled at me for it and put my my brain back into a good space. So I think step one for me of getting away from that. Oh, but it, I'm helping. It's the ritualistic touching of the hose. Everybody has to touch yeah. it and say they help. Um, not carrying my device and starting to carry a, a book makes sure that I have to work on my own self for an hour or two. And I don't have the excuse of, oh, no, 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 but I'm helping other people. It's no, you have to take your own advice and it ensures it because as long as that phone is in our hand, we we have the ability to go forth and and save the world. And sometimes, you know, the the world can wait. It's still going to be there. Oh, the world can definitely wait. Yeah, and that's a lesson that that I'm in the process of learning, and I've, I've learned quite a bit about it. But it's I'm still in a process, and and it's kind of why you know normally the first thing I like to do in the morning is get something out there and, and talk about the whatever episode was on this week and and today it was it was no I'm going to get up early going to go take a hike see the sunrise and then come back and take care of some work you know it's it's those moments to kind of check in with nature and check in with yourself that are so goddamn important well and you asked me you know questions about retirement here's my question back to you who are we trading or taking under our wing, because we are older people now, to carry forth our attitudes and be our replacements. Because at some point, we have to look at each other and say, it's time. It's time to go live in a van down by a river (laughs) and explore the rest of the world and know that we've left the fire service in a better place with somebody else to be the young stack, the young TJ, the young Stephanie, who's stepping up and filling that void that our wonderfully dogmatic personalities have left. Well, so first of all, if there's a young stack out there, God, fuck, I'm so fucking sorry. Um, there shouldn't be, um, second of all, I think that starts with, with those conversations around the kitchen table and on the back step. And it's, it's talking to the young guy saying, Hey, wait a second, understand this, that this isn't, this isn't life. This is your job. This isn't your life. So do your job, go home and live your life. And it's moments like today, we, I, I didn't go alone this morning. I took one of our rookies from the firehouse and he, he jumped up. Well, I had to guilt him into it at first. He's like, I don't know if I want to get it before. And I said, wait a second, there's a Marine in there, right? Somewhere. And he was like, oh shit, you got me. So he went with me on the hike and I appreciated it. And, and it was a moment for me to, to kind of, to kind of show, you know, this is the, these are the things you can do to, to make sure you're healthy as you go forward. And it's not just about the job. Um, and so I think that that's a part of it as well. Hmm. Yeah, it 
it's definitely, I've gotten to that age where now it's a, a monthly struggle of, all right, at what point do you walk away? And remember, there's a whole world out there. So, <laughs> well, we can it, talk about, interesting. yeah, we can talk about at what point do you walk away? Because I, I, I don't know if, if I know you're busy, so I don't expect the, we all, we all kind of listen to snippets of each other's shows and stuff, but we don't listen to probably full episodes. We just don't have time to do it. But I've talked. I listen to full. I listen to your full episode stack. I just want you, want you to know. I want you to be completely guilty at this moment in time. I I don't feel any guilt at all. Um, I if so then you've heard me talk about it. I I have my paper signed. You know I, I'm I'm ready to go. And so I just. I, but I also started this a lot later than everybody else. You you walked in as an 18, 19 year old girl, not not woman, girl, right? I I walked in as a forty four year old human with a ton of life experience that, that I've, I learned from, didn't learn from whatever. And, and now I've spent 10 years in here and I'm thinking, okay, well, when is it time for me to go? And, and that's relatively soon. I, I haven't, I haven't shied away from letting people know that it's just a matter of, of when do I want to let go of it? You know, and you just, you made me think of something super important. So in our little podcasters friend, friend, yeah friends group um it's you and tj versus me and mike in terms of you came in after having had education and a career tj went off and and did his genius nerd thing and he's got his master's in engineering nerd. and did all that he is he is overly smart to be hanging out with us i don't know why he friend poor kid and then you have myself and mike nasty from tip of the spear leadership we both came in as teenagers so all our coping mechanisms in life, just everything, all our adulting skills were learned in the fire service. Yeah. And so the difference in that mental health between that, the four of us is, uh, that's going to have to be a whole nother episode. Because it's, the way you and TJ, having lived lives before the fire department, react and process things is going to be completely different from the two of us who essentially grew up and became adults in the fire service. So what you're saying is that TJ and I are the saner of saner half of the, of the four of us. That's what I'm and hearing. That's a scary, scary, scary thing. <laughs> so next Steve time we'll TJ's talk, we'll, we'll get into that. We'll get into neurodivergence and everything next time. We don't, we would get too distracted now to talk about it. Um, all right. What are you sure. reading these days? I have a stack of books by my bedside at the moment, but you know what? I am back on the Charles Bukowski train. Oh yeah. Okay. And, uh, and David Sedaris, David Sedaris, I actually think is more fun to listen to than to read. Okay. If you listen to any podcasts with them, he's absolutely hysterical, hysterical. But right now I have got burning in water, drowning in flame next to my bed and more notes of a dirty old man. Notes of a Dirty Old Man was pretty good, but more Notes of a Dirty Old Man was all his rejected writing because it was too raunchy. Too out there. So if you, if you haven't read that, I, I'm, I'm guessing it's probably under your pillow at night. It's uh, right up your alley stack. Well, I'll check it out. I'm always looking for something new to stack in the stack of books next to my bed, which is... I see, I see what you did there. Yeah, you like it? So, yeah. Well, listen, I appreciate it. Thank you so much for coming on and, and being willing to, to just kind of wing it today. No, thank you for having me. 
So hopefully we, we covered something interesting for folks and they can get out there and enjoy it. If nothing else, they're going to enjoy the fact that they are all neurotypical and uh, not bouncing off the walls with subjects like we are. I have, you know, I sat still this whole whole entire time. So there you go. I haven't moved from the spot I'm in. So See, we both did good. Two, two victories for us. All right. Go out there and enjoy your day. Why, thank you. I'll you talk too. to you later. All right. We're out. Thanks for listening to another episode of The Things We All Carry. Head over to the website, thethingsweallcarry.com, for show notes, resources, and to sign up for the newsletter. Until next week, take care of yourselves, and remember to check in on each other.